The message that I'm going to be preaching to you today is called, The Way In is the Way Out. In verse 6, chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come unto the Father except by me. The reason why it's the way in is the way out because Jesus is the way in. He's the way out of condemnation. He's the way out of guilt. He's the way out of this law-based mentality that we have to perform in order to win God's approval. Because we don't have to work in order to get into the kingdom of God. The work comes after you're in the kingdom of God, but it's not to obtain anything. It's because it's what you were created to do. It should flow naturally out of us, but because we live in a natural world, it's not so natural. Sometimes to access the things of the Spirit, sometimes it just runs complete opposite to what we've been taught even after we've been saved. And the importance is, is that we have to renew our mind according to the Word of God. And the Scripture says that when we renew our mind, we transform it. Our minds can be transformed by the Word of God. And after they're transformed by the Word of God, then it says that we can prove what is God's good, perfect, and acceptable will. <laughs> there we go. What is God's will? What is His desire? His will would be us. His desire would be us. For what? Servants? No, for fellowship. God has longed to have the union that's been made available to us because of Jesus. God has longed for this more than we've longed for it. Men have longed to look into the things in centuries past that we're looking into now. And because we're in Jesus, there is no guilt, there is no shame, there is no condemnation. You always measure up. You'll never be insufficient because Christ has made us sufficient. He became our sufficiency. So now we're sufficient in Christ. I no longer lack anything because anything that I lack I actually find provided for me in the person of Jesus. So I no longer fall short. When you're not trying to measure up, you can't fall short. You can't. When you're not trying to measure up to other people, you can't fall short. We're in the restaurant. It was earlier this week. And Grace and Faith, they're just having a lot of fun. You know, they're playing, they're being weird, and Mercy's all proper, like a young teenager, you know, you guys are weird, she said, and I said, I said, don't tell them they're weird, because they're not normal, normal is weird, everybody's normal, they are, everybody's normal, but the life in Christ that we have is supposed to be filled with an expectation and a joy, it's supposed to produce a happiness inside of us. I'm not trying to remain in this composure of normal, where I, I look and act like everybody else so I don't stick out. 
But what if God has called us to stand out and it's our joy and our passion that is going to produce joy and passion in other people? Because Jesus is the way in and he also is the way out of a normal life. There's a life in God that is normal Christianity, but it's not what we've seen in Christianity. I don't like preparing for messages. I'm actually trying usually to hurry and get through them because I don't find intimacy with God during my preparation. I want to get past the point of preparation to where I can just spend time with Him. But in the preparation is what draws people closer so that He can spend time with them. That's the whole point of it. Because God wants to do a work in the earth and He wants to use us to do this work in the earth. Do you think you're worthy? Because I don't think I'm worthy. I don't think anybody in here thinks they're worthy to do this work. And that's where the scripture says, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Because you realize that you have nothing, that Jesus has everything, in order to receive something, he's going to have to give it to you first. You're poor in spirit. And when you're poor in spirit, there's a promise that you can inherit the full kingdom of God. Amen? I'm going to be starting in Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity, in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abraham and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Melchah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Melchah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, she had no children. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's sons, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, upon reading this, Abraham, this is Abram before he became Abraham, before the Lord ever appeared to him. This is him. He had two brothers, Nahor and Haran. If you look at the way the genealogy is listed in verse 27, Abraham's the oldest. So Abraham has two younger brothers, the youngest of those brothers being Haran. Haran died. The scripture doesn't tell us how he died, but he died. He had a son and two daughters. It's weird because... The scripture doesn't tell us Haran's wife's name. But it lists Nahor and Abraham's wife's name. I don't know what happened. But something happened and he died. So, Terah, Abraham's father, he took him and he left Ur, Chaldees, and he moved. And the place where they moved is called Haran, which means that Abraham's father, Terah, would have named that country after his dead son. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 12. 
Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of your country, and from your kindred, and from your father's house, unto a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, and cursed is the one that curse you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I wrote my name right next to that, Steve. I didn't realize I did it till I was just reading it. That was a long time ago. But I'm a family that's in the earth. <laughs> so I'm supposed to be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abraham took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Cana and into the land of Canaan they came. See, at this point in Abraham's life, would you think that Abraham knew what it was to suffer loss? To have a tragedy hit your family? I have a brother. It would be devastating to me if I lost my brother. It would be devastating. He's my older brother, but could you imagine a younger brother? And after this death, your father leaves. Nahor and his family don't come with them. But it says that he takes Abraham, Lot, and Sarai with them, and they go. The country they come into, he doesn't name it after himself. He doesn't name it after Abraham. He names it after Abraham's dead youngest brother. God appears to Abraham and tells him not only to leave your country, not only to leave your family, but he says and your father's house. The scripture just said that Abraham was 75 years old when they left. Abraham's 75 and he's still living with his dad in a country that's not even named after him. Would you say Abraham was a successful person? No. Would you say that his family was something special to be treasured in all the earth according to the natural man? No, you couldn't say that. But there was something special about Abraham. That when God appeared to Abraham and told him to leave everything and go to a land that I will show you, Abraham was obedient. And because Abraham believed God, we know the end of the story. The scripture says that God declared them righteous. You know that there was no way to be righteous under the law? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Animal sacrifices could cover sin, but they never made the person righteous. All that happened was that the animal's innocence was then transferred over to the person. That's what the blood of animals did. The blood of Jesus, who is God, who is God's son, didn't just make us innocent. It made us righteous and produce the innocence that God actually has inside of us. We're innocent in the sight of God. We're not guilty. You can't condemn us because such a great price was paid to justify us. If I took my gum, I'm going to need this water, but I'm going to use it for an example. 
<laughs> it's my gum. <laughs> the gum was thin, okay? The, the gum is in there. It's right there at the bottom, okay? That gum's in there. Once it's in there, it's in there. Okay, now, if I cover it up, I don't have a cloth, but if I did, if I cover it, would the gum still be in there? Is that clean water? But it's contaminated now because there's something in there. Whatever I covered it with would just cover it to keep us from seeing it. But the reality is, is that it's still contaminated. But what if this bottle actually died? We would say disintegrated because a bottle can't die. What if it disintegrated and in a place of this bottle appeared a brand new bottle that had never been opened? It was sealed. The seal wasn't busted. Nothing got in. Then that water would be pure. That's us. That's how God sees us. We were contaminated at one time. The blood of animals only covered the contamination in the sight of God. When Jesus came and we accepted him, we died and now we're a new bottle. We are brand new. Our insides are not contaminated. They never can be contaminated because the way in was the way out of contamination. It was the way out of sin. Jesus was the way in, and because he was the way in, I live a sinless life now. Does that mean I've never sinned as a Christian? Not in heaven. There's no record of it in heaven. There's no record that today Steve did this, and he got mad at this guy, and in his heart he wanted to <laughs> paint a nice bird for him. <laughs> no, there's not. Where is that knowledge? It's here on earth. Is that desire of wanting to be angry and show emotion, is that listed in heaven? Is there a record of all my wrongs? No, there's not. There's a record of all Jesus' rights. And there's a record of all your rights. Not right things you've done, but right things that you have inherited. It's your rights. You have rights as a born-again Christian. You have a right. You have an authority as a born-again Christian. We're no longer powerless without God in this earth anymore. Have you ever felt powerless? Because I felt powerless numerous, numerous times in my life. Like I had no power to change something. But I wanted to in myself. But the one who had all the power for all eternity, lives inside of me. That means that I'm no longer powerless. That I can affect environments. That I can change culture. That I can reshape hearts and minds into the shape that they were always meant to be. That people's lives really can reflect the image of God because mine does. Does that mean all my ways are perfect? No, it means that all His are. Amen. None of us here are trying to pave a road that leads you to them. All of us are trying to pave a road that leads people to Christ because Christ is the way in. And most people look for a way out, but they've never seen the way in. Most Christians have seen the way in, but they're still looking for a way out. But the way in is the way out. He's the way out. He's the way out from judgment, from self-judgment. 
There's a righteousness that is produced inside of us when we believe. The same righteousness that was given to Abraham before the law ever came. I don't see Abraham as a successful man. I don't. But after this point, because he decided to follow the voice of the Lord, Abraham became a very successful man. He would actually begin the lineage that would bring in the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow. Abraham was a very successful man after this. Enemies come, five kings come, and they take all the land hostage, and they take his nephew Lot. Abraham, with 360-some servants, goes and he literally destroys five kings that tried taking something that belonged to him, something that he took personal responsibility over. When he took Lot with him, he took responsibility for Lot. And because God was with him, he didn't only get back Lot, he destroyed those five kings and took everything that they had took and brought it back. See, sometimes the enemies in our life they try to come and they try to take stuff that's valuable to us. And they pose themselves as kings with great authority. But when you know your authority, because of the one who called you into this land, you won't run when they want to wage war. And by you rising up and taking back what the enemy took, not only will you receive back to you what was yours, but other people will receive back to them the things that were stolen. All because we decide to rise up and not be stolen from anymore. You look at Moses' life. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. He was a baby. He was just months old. He couldn't be hid. So his mom put him in a basket and floated him down the river. There was no certainty that they wouldn't kill him knowing that he was a Jewish baby, a male. There was no certainty. So at that moment, you know that Moses became an orphan? Not because they wanted to, but because they had to. There was no other way to save his life. God was with Moses from a baby. And when Pharaoh's daughter looked at him, she just fell in love with that baby. Raised him right next to her own son. There came a time in Moses' life, though, where he believed that he was going to be the one that delivered the children of Israel. So he tried to reconcile two men fighting. He ended up killing the Egyptian soldier that was beating them and hiding his body in the sand. And then he fled Egypt for 40 years. And the scripture tells us in Exodus chapter 3, that Moses was tending his father-in-law's flock. Moses, after 40 years of being in the desert, didn't even have his own flock. He was a murderer. Would you call Moses a successful person in this time? No, you couldn't. He was a fugitive who was still hiding, still scared, because the person that he was raised with as brother now is emperor ruler. He's hiding. See a brave person? No, he's not. 
Because when the Lord appears to him and tells him to go back to Egypt, he's going to use him to deliver his people. Moses tries arguing with God, trying to get God to change his mind because in Moses' mind, Moses knew who he was. God knew who he was. God was going to be with Moses because Moses finally got to the point where he was going to obey the voice of God. The moment that he started going in the direction that God was going, leading him to, that's when the power came upon Moses' life. And we read in Exodus chapter 33 that God came down and talked to Moses face to face as a man talks to his friend. <laughs> as a man talks to his friend, God came down and talked to Moses. Moses cries out, to God and says, if I found favor in your sight, then show me your glory. And God says to Moses that I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. He says, for no one can see my face and live. God couldn't show Moses his glory, but he could show him his goodness. See, anytime I previously read that, I used to think that was God saying he was going to show him his glory and how good he was to them, but that's not what he was actually saying. The glory wasn't for Moses. It wasn't for that time. When Moses asked to see God's glory, he said, no man can see my face and live. So in the eyes of God, his face was associated with the glory. When I was talking to Heather about this, I told her, I said, you know, have you ever seen somebody in the grocery store or when you're walking somewhere and you see him from behind you are for sure this is the person you know. You are for sure. But the moment they turn around, you realize that's not them. Because the face of a person is their identity. And see, under the law, Moses thought that he knew the person who was walking by when he was looking at his backside. But he couldn't see his face. And when God turned around, it wasn't anything like the Jewish leaders of the day thought. Moses asked to see God's glory, right? God said, no man can see my face and live. But he was still going to cause all his goodness to pass before him. Listen to what it says, verse 5 and verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. According to the scripture that we have received, the light of the knowledge of of the glory of God, but it came to us in the face of Christ. When God turned around and showed his face to humanity, it was in the face of Jesus. What would have brought death in an old covenant actually brings life in the new covenant. That we can experience what Moses cried out for when he said, Lord, show me your glory. And God said, no man can see my face and live. He showed us that glory in the face of Christ. And now we live. 
because we've seen it, we live. Jesus is the way in, and he's also the way out. He's the way out of tradition. He's the way out of religious bondage. He is the peace that we desperately search for in our everyday life. He's the way into peace, and he's the way out of turmoil. He is the solution to every problem that we ever face. He has that solution. But if we're looking to a solution to relieve a problem, all of a sudden we're looking to the solution and not the person. And we've all done it. We've all thought that this will actually fix my problems. This is the solution. So we end up chasing for myself money. Money's the solution. If I just, more money, money answers all things. Everybody knows that. But the money that I need and need to be responsible for can only develop through character. So there's been times in my life where God was character building me in order to sustain large amounts of money when I get it. But I thought I was ready. There was a time, this sounds super spiritual, but it's not. If you know me, I'm not promoting the lottery or anything like that. But there was a time Heather was sick. It was on 11 11 11. It was November 11th, and it was 2011. Heather called me. I mean, we needed finances. We needed finances bad at this time. She called me, and she said, I'm not feeling good. Would you pray for me? And I said, yeah, I'll pray for you. So I prayed for her. It had been an ongoing thing, so it was like, this was like the third day where she still wasn't feeling good. So I prayed for her, and I let her go, and I, I was just, Lord, I don't know what this is. Like, it's not leaving. This is the fourth or fifth time I prayed. So I started praying in the Holy Spirit, in tongues, and I zoned off. And when I came to, I had 436 in my head. 436, 436, 436. I called Heather and... And I said, turn to page 436 in my Bible. And so she did. I said, well, well, is there anything marked? She said, there's nothing marked here. I said, well, chapter 4, verse 36. There's no chapter 4, verse 36. I said, okay. I said, well, I don't know. It's 436 was in my mind. So you know what? I'm going to play the lottery. I never played the lottery up until that point. I'm not an advocate for the lottery. You can't make these things happen. But I played 436. I got to one of my stops. I delivered to gas stations. I asked him, what do I need to do to play the numbers 436? He asked me what I wanted. He said, you want a box straight? I said, what's the difference? He explained it to me. And I, I think I said, give me two uh, straight in one box, which is like $2.50. So he gave them to me. I got off work. My work day was a 14-hour day back then. So when I got home, I was tired. We were going to order something to eat. And... I was probably just going to go to bed, but I had those lottery tickets in my pocket when I was clearing out my pockets from the day. I just took them and threw them in my Bible, took a shower. We got out. We ordered Papa John's, and I'm watching TV, and I look over at Heather, and she's like this. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she didn't answer me. I'm like, what are you doing? And she was like, today's Friday, right? And I said, yeah, and she said 436. The numbers came out exactly that way, which was $1,275 for us that we needed at that time. Never happened again. I don't even expect it to happen again. But I wasn't looking for it when it happened. But what the Lord was saying to me is that even if I needed to use the lottery, I could get money to you. 
Money's not the issue. The issue is character and stewardship. That's what the Lord was teaching me during that time. And He's still teaching me up until this time. And praise God, we're a lot better stewards. <laughs> We've been prepared to where we can actually handle some stuff. God is more interested in our development than He is in just getting all our needs met. You ever went through something and you're like, why in the world, man, this other person, they just got it given to them. When I was a youth pastor after Mark and Val left, my car broke down. I'm picking up kids all the time. I'm like, Lord, I don't even have a, a car. Like, what's going on? Then next thing I know, I'm hearing people I know or people close to me getting vehicles given to them for their ministry. I'm like, what in the world? I need a car. Everybody but me is getting one given to them. <laughs> I'm doing your work. What came so easy for other people, God was actually asking me to exert some faith. He was actually building character in me. He was building perseverance. What happens to the person who's given everything their whole life and all of a sudden it's no longer given to them? They usually commit suicide. Because they have no hope, they have no expectation. God is interested in building us. And when we're built up in the Lord Jesus, we can establish Him in somebody else. So would you say Moses became successful in the Lord? I would say, yeah, Moses became very successful in the Lord. He actually was chosen to deliver God's people. Abraham was chosen to be the first in a line that would bring in the Messiah. Moses was actually chosen to deliver the children of Israel, to bring them to a place where God could bring in the Messiah. Then you look at the life of Peter. It's not just the Old Testament. You look at the life of Peter, and man, Peter's a fisherman. He owns his own business. But would you say Peter was a successful fisherman? Everybody has their own idea. If you look at different theologians, you will get messed up. <laughs> some of them are good, some of them are bad. So I just had to go with the scriptures. <laughs> Peter just came from one of the worst nights in his life. They fished all night, they caught nothing. Jesus gets into his boat. After Jesus preaches, you know the story. He tells Peter to launch out. Peter's tired. Peter, we know Peter has a family. Peter don't want to launch out, but he does. Out of respect for Jesus, not out of desire. When they catch so much that they fill both boats, the ships are starting to sink. Peter drops down on his knees and says, Get away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. All of a sudden, the reality of God's goodness became undeserving to him. He didn't feel like he deserved God's goodness. Truth is, is I believe Peter didn't even want Jesus in his boat that morning. Truth is, is that I didn't want Jesus in my life at a time. <laughs> but now, because I've walked with Jesus these years, just like Peter, he can say to me, do you love me more than these? I'm not arrogant. I wouldn't say, well, yeah, Lord, of course I do. No. Would you call 
Peter a successful person at this point in his life? Would you even call Peter a spiritual person at this point in his life? Would you call Moses a spiritual person? Would you call Abraham a spiritual person? And would you call Peter a spiritual person at the moment that God called them? No, you would not. They became some of the greatest men that we esteem in Scripture. Because Jesus would say, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter would leave everything to follow Jesus. Does it take you being great in order to be something in God? No, he's great. He's the one that makes you something in himself. He's great. And the reality is is that he wants to give us his greatness demonstrated through his goodness because he's the way in and he's the way out of every trial, every circumstance, every situation that is against us. He's the way in. He's the way out. He's the way into peace and the way out of everything else. He is. So that at the end of our lives, we can say like the Apostle Paul, I've kept the faith. I ran the race. From this point on, there's a crown of glory laid up for me and not only me, but all those who the Lord Jesus calls. There's a crown of glory laid up for you. If it was laid up for you, it wasn't laid up by you. That's the thing. (laughs) Because he is the way into this. Jesus is the way into God's fullness of grace. We can access anything in the Father because we have the Son. He's the key that unlocks the full bounty of heaven's treasures. Jesus is the key. He's the key that turns the ignition to the Spirit of God. Amen. Inside of us. I'm almost done. I just want to share this because I find it amazing because a lot of people struggle with God loving them for him. (laughs) Notice I didn't say for you. (laughs) Well, you know. (laughs) He loves you for him. It's because he loves you. I love my children because they're mine. I love them for me. Do I love them for who they are? Yes. But they wouldn't be who they are or even exist if it wasn't for me. I'm the one that birthed them into the earth and God is the one who created us in his likeness and in his image. But I was studying this past week and as I was studying, it just came to me, I just want to look up and see how many times Jesus either used my father or our father in the four Gospels. You want to know what was amazing to me? That Matthew had it listed 44 times. The book of Luke listed it 20. Mark listed it five times. And the Gospel of John listed it 122 times. And he's the one who refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. But he's the one who got the clearest revelation as God being a father. Matthew was pretty remarkable with 44. Still fails in comparison to 122. It's like every time Jesus was saying my father or our father 
or your father, John didn't let that slip. He seen God as being his father. There's something about religion that makes God a routine. Prayer is great, routines are great, but if I told my mom or my dad, you got 15 minutes of my time today and I gotta go, they'd probably just tell me, why don't you just go? You don't have to be here. If you don't want to be here, I, I don't want you here. It would be offensive to them because they invested everything they are in me. <laughs> it's offensive to God because he invested everything he is in us. I love prayer times. There's times where in my past, not presently, where I'd pay, pray two to three hours a day. Loved it. I hated missing it. I hated it. It was just so nourishing to me. But those times are seasons. And I honestly believe they prepare me for the next season. I'm praying something into effect that I haven't seen yet. Now, honestly, maybe 10 minutes a day. I love eating carpet before the Lord. <laughs> I do. I just lay on my face and my face is in the carpet. And, you know, I just, I don't, I love that. I don't know why. It just does something for me psychologically, mentally, you know. And I don't know if it's because Moses laid prostate before the Lord for 40 days and nights and didn't eat anything, but sounds good to me. <laughs> but, uh, but no, really now, maybe 10 minutes a day. But I'm in constant communication with him all day. There's not really a time that I'm not thanking him for something or mindful of him because now he's with me all the time. He's not just the 10 minutes in the morning. If you can get 10 minutes in, if, if you pray for three hours, it's amazing. Those times have been amazing for me. And that's why Jesus would say, make the most of every opportunity for the days are evil. That's why he would say to Peter, pray lest you fall into temptation. What were they praying for? To get close to God? No. They were already right there with Jesus. That didn't even make sense. That's been the mentality that we've embraced, though, through teaching, that you pray to get close to God. So when Jesus told Peter and them to pray, God wasn't with them. <laughs> Jesus is God. So what were they praying for? Pray that you fall not into temptation. And Jesus says, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If they would have prayed, which they didn't, it would have brought them in alignment to what God wanted to do, and it would have taken them out of temptation. If it wouldn't have, Jesus couldn't have told them that. He couldn't have told them to pray unless you fall into temptation. We look at these men, and we see these men at the end of their lives. And most of them died for what they believed in. Every one of them died in faith. And we esteem them as great men because they were used by God in their generation. But they're not around in our generation. So who's going to be the next great women or men of God in our generation? Because God's calling us to take their place in a long lineage to actually bring transformation, the transformation that they seen in their generation into our generation. It's the same God. And where Moses could bring such deliverance 
to millions of people because he obeyed the voice of God? You think, well, that's just the children of Israel. You know, one man doesn't do that anymore. But God starts with one man. You look at Reinhard Bonnke. Millions of people freed from the slavery of sin because of the message of Jesus Christ started with one man's vision. It could be the same in Haiti, guys. It could be the same. All of Haiti can be revolutionized because you're there. But if you would have never been planted there, it wouldn't be possible. If the scripture was still being written, your names could be found in it because of your willingness to listen to the voice of the Lord. That's all it took. <laughs> when men and women listened to the voice of the Lord, despite natural reasoning and left their place, God blessed them. But the blessing was never overnight. It was always through perseverance, trusting God that he was faithful and it's impossible for him to lie. I just know the Lord wants to inspire us. I honestly believe inside of my heart that he wants to do something in our generation, in our time that hasn't been done before. I believe it with everything I am. I was listening to a message by Jerry Savelle and he was saying something that the Lord said to him that he hasn't seen anything yet. That what he has experienced is nothing like he's going to experience. And I was thinking, man, Lord, this man has been around the world. He's preached everywhere there pretty much is to preach. You've restored his health time and time again. He's not lacking for anything. All his desires are met. He's blessed, and I'm thinking, what in the world more could you do in Jerry Savelle's life? That he hasn't seen anything, and all of a sudden it dawned on me that Solomon, with all his wisdom, barely scratched the wisdom of God. He barely scratched the wisdom of God with all his wisdom. Even if all my life was invested in the Lord, it's a measly 35 years trying to figure out a God who is eternal. How could I think that I know anything in 35 years about someone who's been around forever? That's the importance of why we needed the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God searches the deep things of God. And he reveals them unto us. Do I know everything about God? No, I don't. But I know him. <laughs> I know him. And I'm known by him. And he loves me. And he loves you. I honestly believe that Jesus is the way in to everything that we will ever need because everything that we ever need has already been provided for us in the Father. Amen. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. I thank you for Triumphant Grace Ministries. And I thank you for the work that you're doing here. Father, I ask you that as you've called men before who were... They were nothing at the point in their lives they were at. That you took those men who were really nothing and that you 
established yourself through them in such profound ways. I ask you to do that same thing with everyone here. That because you said that we're valuable, that we would esteem ourselves valuable in the plans of God. That no one or nobody would be able to discourage our faith. Because you said that who can bring an accusation, a judgment against those who you've justified. Christ was the only one who was able to condemn, and yet he decided to justify us. I thank you that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And I thank you that on this body that there is a real peace that is tangible. And that just as we go places, that the peace that's in us will just get all around us. That other people in our presence would experience your peace. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.